Two mystery men off the Utah Jazz bench, and what are their roles in the Jazz future? It's next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked On Jazz. Today, two mystery men, Damian Jones and Lucas Samanich. And how do they fit? Who are they? What's their skill sets? Still not sure. And how do they fit in the Jazz future? Plus, we'll look at our two-way contracts, Doka Azabuke and Juan Toscata Anderson to wrap up which bench players have a role for the Jazz future tomorrow. We'll talk about the great Kelly Olynyk and how he fits in the Jazz future, and where that sits. Uh, also today, late game watch, two of them last night, Knicks Heat and Lakers uh, Warriors. Anthony Davis was a beast last night. We'll talk about both those. We'll do our lottery. We haven't had any luck yet this week. I am David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen every day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps as well as on YouTube. Please subscribe, follow, hit the bell button, be notified whenever we drop an episode and become a part of the everydayers. Everydayers, shout yourself out on YouTube. We launched yesterday our nine for Team 49, the nine best wins of the season. Nominate games that you think should go in there over on YouTube. I'll check that out later today. Or you can do that on our Instagram at DLock09. Damian Jones, who the Jazz acquired at the end of, in the trade deadline, is a real mystery to me. Because... There are consistent flashes that make you believe that Damian Jones, the former 30th pick of the NBA draft, has a real chance to be a viable, impactful, probably backup center to Walker Kessler. Um, And if you look at his career, there's these same flashes. Just to remind everyone, since Damian Jones was a late pickup, he's he's a late the last pick of the first round of the 2016 draft. So in 2016-17, he plays for the Golden State Warriors who go 67-15. and 15. He's not playing, right? And he doesn't. He plays 10 games all year. The next year, the Warriors win the title again, and he doesn't play. He plays 15 games. So two years into his NBA career, the dude's hardly played. In the third year of his NBA career, he actually starts 22 games on a Warriors team that in 18-19 goes 57-52 and and loses to the Raptors in the finals. So he spends his first three years as a young player on the most veteran, culturally best, laden team, and he plays a grand total of of 49 games in three years. So a lot of impact to this. This could like break your zest for the game. This could be an incredibly impactful, positive experience. This could be a lot of stuff. So he, in night, and then in 1920, 
he gets traded to the Atlanta Hawks. And what's relevant to me there is that the same guy who drafted him, Travis Schlenk, is now the GM, was the assistant GM in Golden State, is now the GM in Atlanta, and they go and he goes and gets Damian Jones. And why I think that's relevant is because there was nothing in those 49 games that Travis Schlenk saw behind the scenes that said no. He plays 55 games. He starts 27 of them. He's he, he, he seemingly is fine. Nothing dramatic. This guy's not about to become an all-star, but you're trying to figure out, is this a viable player for our future? Um, and so, you know, Atlanta traded a second-round pick for him, uh, and I think Omari Spellman was that deal. So he plays that season, and then he's... Atlanta does, nobody's picked up his options. I think the Warriors were the team that denied it originally. And he signs with Phoenix and he lasts 14 games in Phoenix. I don't know. I really don't. Like, at this point, he's waived on February 23rd. And the Lakers signed him three days later to a 10-day contract. And then the Lakers signed him to a second 10-day contract. And then the Kings signed him to a 10-day contract. And then the Kings signed him to a second 10-day contract. And then the Kings sign him to a contract on the final day of the season before he could become a free agent anywhere else. Okay? So they like him. And he then plays for Sacramento the next year. He plays 56 games and he starts 15 of them. And in 36 minutes, he's now like suddenly wildly productive. For his per 36 minutes number are 16 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 blocks. Pretty wild. And that closes out his 21-22 season. The, the year after he's gone all those 10 days. And the Lakers sign him on the very first day of, with no extra money, on the very, 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 very first day of, of free agency, the Lakers sign him, and then 22 games, he barely plays for them, and he gets moved. And if you go to Damian Jones' year with the Jazz, I actually think it's a perfect capsule of this entire weird career he's had. So... We play him, and there'll be there were nights where he did a little of everything. He came off the bench for seven minutes, I think it was, in um, in Memphis out of nowhere, and had seven points and three rebounds, and like propelled the team. And then two nights later, he wasn't playing, and then all of a sudden, he had like these twenty-minute stretches, and then by eight games later, he doesn't play, and Adoka Zabuke is back in the rotation, and then he does he dropped sixteen points against the Lakers in a game, and. He, at one point in time, is switching defensively and looks amazing. At other times on the floor, he's running the floor, looks amazing. He hits an inordinate amount of three-point shots as he goes three for three in that Laker game. And he's not going to take him a lot, but he suddenly like made threes this year. And yet at the other time, he's completely feckless. There are other times when he would play games and you would never know he got on the floor. And to me, that's why Damian Jones still is just an incredible mystery. <clears throat> he, I, I don't, I, and I don't know that I ever understood why in 15 minutes against Boston, you'd have a hard time knowing he was out there. In seven minutes against Sacramento, and yet on other nights, the flashes are just tremendous. So my thought on Damian Jones, who's got an option that he can pick up and come back, is he does feel like a pretty perfect backup to Walker Kessler. Like, you're stretching out Walker Kessler to 30, 32 minutes next year. You don't really want 
some veteran center that wants to be playing like Hassan Whiteside did behind Rudy Gobert, wanting to play more. So Damian Jones, if he suddenly gets a consistent rotation of 18 minutes a night, might be super pleased with that role and be perfectly happy with it. On the other end, like if you're looking at future, like, and so I think that role is perfect. If I'm being hypercritical, I watch these NBA playoff games. I can't see Damian Jones getting a lot of time in an NBA playoff game. The level of intensity, the magnitude of the games, this cannot afford the inconsistency that we saw out of Damian Jones in just the short time he was with us and that we've seen throughout his career. He's a wonderful young man. He's very interesting. He's thoughtful. He went to Vanderbilt, which is one of the best schools in the country. And I think you have to like wonder a little bit, like, is there still another gear in there that might click? Or that you might wonder whether or not that first three years in the league where you're cashing million-dollar paychecks and not playing kind of zapped his juice for the game. I don't, you know, he's just bounced around a lot in his career. And like, it's got to be a little weird that you banked $4 million in your opening three years of the league playing 36 whatever games it was. His option for this upcoming year is at $2.5 million. I think he takes that because there's a real chance I think he's a minimum player otherwise. So I think he's back. There's a lot of pieces to that puzzle that are likable. Runs the floor beautifully. Actually is showing signs of an outside shot. I mean, he hit like 58% of his threes on limited attempts. Um, I think he actually hit like 70% of his threes. It was kind of crazy. Um, I think you look at... um, He can switch defensively. He showed that. So there's a lot of pieces of this puzzle. There doesn't seem to be a consistency. And has that been role... Has that been personality? Has that been skill set? Has actually got a limit? I don't know. And that's to me why he's a mystery. The second mystery is Luka Samanich. And we'll touch on that when we continue here today on Locked on Jazz. Locked on Jazz is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Therapy has been a wonderful answer for lots of people. I think one of the great things we have going on in society right now is where we just continue to get better is that this there's no taboo to this, right? Like we get it. Like this helps talking things through, giving you the tools to find a more balanced life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Um, how you can find out why you feel stretched, why certain reactions you're having things. Um if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the coolest thing is, if you don't like your therapist, you switch at any time, no additional charge. So it's all at BetterHelp. It's an opportunity for you to improve yourself, to better understand yourself, and to make what can be a t- difficult time in life easier for you. So do it all with BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. Today, 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash LockedOnNBA. Thank you so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcasting platforms tomorrow 
We'll look at Kelly Olynyk's role. So the other mystery man to me is Luka Samanich. And this is exactly how you use a 10-day contract and then sign him afterwards. Samanich, on the simplest thing, on the very, very simplest thing, I'll, I'll go back to one of his first days in practice for us. He's, he's working on a shot. He's just shooting, and he takes a shot, and both Ron Boone and I look at each other immediately like, wow, 6'10", high release, beautiful touch, great shot. Like, oh, wow. And then there's this weird common thread that we only saw Samanich for seven games, and the last game certainly taints it because he went 0 for 8. But the weird thing about Luka Samanich is the shot looks awesome. It doesn't go in. Or let's rephrase it. It has yet to go in in his NBA career. Right? If you look at his time in San Antonio, he played almost none his first year. His second year, he played 33 games. He shot 28% from three. For us, he only played seven games. He shot 26% from three. Like, there is so much to like you. 6'10", moves well, looks, shot looks beautiful, defensively fouls a lot, probably a step behind some of it. The ball doesn't seem to go in. If you look at his G League numbers in Maine this year, he shot seven threes a game. He made 33%. Game speeds up a little bit. He drops to 31%. Like, the mystery to me here is 6'10", 230, moves like Samanich does. Oh, yeah, I'm in. Shoots, like, in an empty gym the way that shot looks. Oh, yeah, I'm in. And then it doesn't go in. And why is that? Is that something that Evan brags in the... And the player development staff can look at and figure out what that is. Is that that the speed of the game once you get to the NBA changes that shot a tiny bit and makes it so it doesn't go in? I'm not smart enough to know these things. But that's the mystery to me. I think it's exactly why you have a 10-day contract and why you sign a guy the way they did is so that you can have him in camp. I play him in summer league. I work with him the whole time. I try to figure out what's going on and see whether, because if that ball starts to go in, you've got something. He's absent on the offensive glass for a guy who's 6'10". His passing skills, I thought, looked above average in the seven games we saw him. Again, let's realize this was seven games, seven games late in the season. Um, I thought the one, you know, where he gets, how he gets to the rim and things like that, he... He's long enough that that doesn't seem to be a problem for him. I think most of his rim shots were late in the year were either layups or dunks. Um, again, he had five dunks late in the year, five or six dunks and a few layups, and so his, his rim numbers were good. I was kind of curious to see whether there was something where he didn't wasn't physical enough, and so he got bounced off that. That doesn't seem to be the case at all. So Shamanich just has this kind of interesting thing. Now, the final piece of this puzzle on Shamanich is the number one indicator out of for collegiate players usually on how you, whether or not you become a good shooter is what your free throw shooting is. Well, his career NBA free throw shooting, such a limited sample size, let's be careful here, is 61%. Okay, again, 
That goes back to the doesn't go in, which is super weird. Because if you watch it, it should go in. His free throw shooting in the G League last year, two attempts a game, so not a lot, but in 20, 30 games was 76%. Okay? Like, you'd like him to be an 80% free throw shooter. If he's an 80% free throw shooter, then you're really certain that this thing's going to turn around and it's going to go in. The last thing on Shamanich, which is really interesting to me, is, and this is where I think having him in G League and having him in all these camps is, is important, is that he he really openly kind of said, I have an attitude change from where I was when I was in San Antonio. And I think he rightfully came to San Antonio. It was the 19th pick of the draft. He was expecting stuff he didn't play, and it just didn't, it didn't vibe. So to his credit, I think he's openly admitted that. All right, the other players to look at here late, Juan Toscana-Anderson is kind of the regular season versus playoff player to me. I want Juan Toscana-Anderson on my roster for a bunch of reasons in the regular season. One, he plays hard every night. Two, he seems to be a really intelligent player. Three, I think he's a really good like practice player, shoot-around player, in-game communicator. I Of players I've watched and observed, his co- questions to coaches, his interaction with players, his engagement in the game is great. This has nothing to do with him ever getting on the floor, frankly. But those aspects of him, he seems like he's a really, really, really smart player. That he interacts with his teammates well. They all really like him. He interacts with coaches well. I actually think he looks to me like he's going to be a coach in the NBA at some point. Like, of all the players on our roster this year, probably hasn't made enough money to be the other guy. You know, like Mike Conley and I talked about it a lot, but like Mike, Mike's like, you know, I'm, I've made $250 million. I'm probably not coaching. Um, Juan, Juan, to me, kind of strikes it. Now, his shot is just not good enough. Like, it takes too long to get off. He doesn't want to shoot it. He's, relu- he's reluctant to shoot it. It takes a long time to get off. He knows that's not his role. And it's really prohibitive to him being a major contributor. But at 6'6", I want him on my roster in the regular season. He changes games. He's a great teammate. So this is a guy I would want around. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see, if he doesn't stay with the Jazz. Um, and he, I believe, is a full free agent. Signed a one-year contract in July of this last year with the Lakers. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors didn't pick him back up or the Lakers didn't pick him up, but the Jets. Like, if he's the kind of guy who I think he's, if he's been on your roster, you actually want him back. He also, to the three storms we talked about yesterday, everydayers, you know, he's been through a lot. He was, like, literally went and interviewed on his own for the G League and talked them into basically giving a spot and then made the NBA out of it. <coughs> so at 30 years old, he's just a grown man. So really, really like that. Final two guys to talk about are Doke Azabuke, who I give Doke, that was the most heartwarming part of the season, is that Doke has something he can rest on in the 36 games he played, in the four games that after all those injuries and everything else, he fought back and he at least got someone. Now, I don't, I don't know that I saw anything that made me really believe like, oh, this is a major future piece and a playoff player and, you know, a late game player. Um, but I do think it's super exciting and I'm, and I'm ecstatic for Doke that he had that kind of year. Uh, and the last one was Johnny Juzang. Out of UCLA, Jazz used ex- you know exactly what you'd want to see out of a summer league guy or out of a G League guy, undrafted, 
great pedigree, put him in a good situation, went to Kentucky and UCLA, 22 years old. And the only thing about him, the reason he really did not get drafted was because, one, he's not elite athletically, and two, was because his mid-range game didn't include a three. And it did not include a three in the 18 games he played for the Jazz either. either. He shot 24% from three um, after his extended G League stretch. Um, he closed the year in, in a fairly horrific slump, if I remember correctly. I think he only hit about four of his last 20 um, from three as the kind of as the season wound down and he got more and more time in those games. Um, I think he hit in the last like eight or nine games he played, I think he hit 16% of his threes and 35% of his overall shots. So a little bit of a scuffle for him down the stretch. Um, and he's probably going to be back on a two-way he might have to go to Europe to develop some skills and then come back. He just needs time. Um, but he did not, unfortunately, do anything, I think, that guarantees him a roster spot for this upcoming season. So two mystery men highlight the bench conversation for today. We did have two late-game finishes last night. Some really, really interesting things on the Lakers' half-court offense, or lack thereof, or what they were actually calling, to me, uh, was most interesting. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Intercap Lending. And if I mention Intercap Lending, that means Steve Carter. Steve Carter is simply the best. It's a wild world, banking wild world, lending wild world, all those things right now. Steve Carter can walk you through the process. There's nobody in the history of Lockdown who's got more consistent positive impact on our everydayers than Steve Carter in Intercap Lending. Intercap Lending is a hyper-responsive, uh, lending company. They do direct lending. They're able to do some things that maybe some other bigger companies aren't able to do to help you through the process. And then there's Steve Carter, who's just customer service is through the roof. He's our own personal loan officer and he does just amazing work. Why has Intercap grown so much since they came to Utah in April of 2016? Because they get deals done and that's what people want. That's how deals work. But then why also? Because Steve Carter gives you the greatest customer service ever. You can call Steve directly at 385-885-28 or just email me at dlock09 at gmail.com and I'll set you up with Steve and get you the relationship. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465, allergies. It is Steve Carter at Intercap Lending. He doesn't have allergies, just me. I have wacky hair and allergies today. Uh, it really helps. Intercap Lending, I'm sure, is really excited. That was a part of their their advertising. Thanks so much for being a part of Locked On Jazz today. If you're looking for NBA draft talk, Locked On NBA Big Board. If you're looking for playoff recap, go grab the Lakers, Warriors, Heat, or Knicks. I'll listen to all three of them today. Let's get into it. Uh, where are my old man glasses? Uh-oh. All right. Uh, Miami, New York last night, 93-93 offensive rebounds. The numbers inside each of these games are fascinating. We've been talking offensive rebounding every single day here on the show. Um, And here it is again. Last night, the Knicks, 38% of their misses, they garnered as offensive rebounds. That's why they're winning games. Um, I thought this was super interesting. So having done this final late game watch, and I'm doing it again next year. I hope you guys like it. Um, I always preach to the lockdown host. This is really inside baseball here. Uh, I always preach to the lockdown host that, hey, do the show for the listeners, not for you. Okay, this segment's for me. I love this. 
Hopefully you like it too. But if we're being honest, this is about me. I love watching the final seven minutes of games. So I'll go watch these games live and I'll go back and rewatch the final seven minutes and take notes on them. So Miami was one of the most interesting teams. They played the most close games. I watched them more than any team in the NBA this year. The variety of things that they ran late in games. They started the year with a lot of Lowry Bam stuff. Then they're running Butler Bam stuff. Then they're running low... Uh, Butler Bam stuff. Then they're running Hero and Bam with Butler off to the side for an isolation. Then they ran three-man stuff with Hero, Lowry, and Bam with Butler off to the wing on isolations. Then they ran um, Bam at the nail. Then they ran Bam in the post-up. And they actually struggled with a bunch of stuff throughout the year. When they got Lowry out of the mix and went to Tyler Hero, they got better. When they ran Tyler, their best stuff all year was Tyler Hero, Bam stuff, where the defense shifts and then they swing to Butler and then he attacks off the 45. What's incredible about this last night is they have none of it. They have no Butler. They have no Hero. They're not running loudly. They started off with Gabe, Vincent, and Bam. By the end, they go back to Lowry and Bam. And they actually are playing middle pick and roll, Lowry and Bam, almost like they did at the very, very first iteration of the season of what they were. But Spolster's amazing. And the amount of different stuff he runs, the amount of different angles, the amount of different uh, ways he runs it. He ran a lot of Victor stuff at one point during the year. He's not available. I mean, they're so thin right now. For them to be able to stay in these games and be able to you know, run through their offense was kind of amazing. Um, Isaiah Harkenstein was a beast last night. And you wonder a little bit on the Clippers this year of whether Isaiah, they missed Isaiah Harkenstein more than you think. Like you go watch Isaiah Harkenstein, you go watch a Josh Hart, those pieces, like in the trade deadline, if you recall, I said the most important trade other than Kevin Durant was Josh Hart. Because if Josh Hart wasn't playing right now, Miles McBride is probably taking those minutes. Like, he's not playing. Maybe it's Grimes or quickly by the time you get to the playoffs. But Miles McBride was playing the Josh Hart minutes. Early. Now Josh Hart's playing 33 minutes. He had 14 points. He had 11 rebounds. He had nine assists. He hit the biggest corner three of the game. He also grabbed an offensive rebound off his own corner three. Like, he was the key late in the game. Randall played well for the Knicks. Um, but when you start doing these trades, trade deadline stuff, you're actually, it's what matters is that you're replacing someone who didn't give you anything, you know, Durant to Phoenix, we'll see, but Durant to Phoenix also took them miles bridges, Cameron Johnson, and the third player whose name is escaping right now, like who all went to Brooklyn, who are all good players. And if you watch Phoenix right now, they're really thin. Like they really like Kevin Durant's great and Kevin Durant's awesome and that's super, but they are playing Josh Akogi 22 minutes and Tori and Craig 11 minutes. That's 33 minutes where their guys went one for five, zero for four from three, scored two points, gave them one rebound and one assist. Those are Cameron Johnson, Miles Bridges, and yes, they got Kevin Durant for it, but Durant went 10 of 27. Frankly, that's not that much better. It's better, well, 10 of 27 is not, but he's better, but not like Josh Hart versus Miles Bridges. That's better. So when you're talking about these trade deadline moves, those like that's the incredible stuff. A um, few other notes on that. Um, Miami was the one that was fascinating me. I mean, it really, New York's Jalen Brunson left side isolation, but then their offensive rebounding was the key. Let's go Lakers, Golden State. Warriors are down 12 with 544 left, and then they just start getting into transition. The numbers on this game are going to be fascinating to me and and probably worth digging into, like QSQ, um, where, t- guys, where teams got their shots. 
Um, neither team turned it over. So that's going to, the, the things that are super interesting statistically going into this Laker Warrior series are that the Lakers live at the free throw line, the Warriors live at three. The Lakers allow the fewest free th- take the f- most free throws and allow the fewest free throws in the league. Um, and so there's going to be a massive discrepancy. I was listening to Tim Roy and Tom Tolbert for much of the game yesterday. It's going to be a massive, and they were just lamenting it. There's going to be a massive, massive discrepancy on free throws taken in this game, in this series. The Lakers took 29. Um, the Warriors took six. That's going to happen every game. That That's the reality of what, where these two teams are. Um, the next one is like, where are shots coming from? Anthony Davis was so dominant last night. The Warriors only took 12 shots at the rim all night. Now, the Lakers only took 14. So, Anthony Davis denied the rim, but the Warriors are the best rim def- defending team in the league. The Lakers took 53 mid-range shots last night, 34 in the floater range. They went 30 of 53. I don't think they can do that again. There's an unusual shooting number there. On mid-range shot, on like floater zones, Anthony Davis was dominant. The Warriors went 9 of 27. The Warriors were 16 of 39 in the paint last night. Um, So that's all Anthony Davis. I don't know that I think that the Lakers can make 30 of 53 of those shots again. They only went 6 of 25 and 3. The Warriors are taking 50 shots from there. The numbers in this series are just fascinating. Now, from a watching standpoint, Anthony Davis to me was was completely the mass story um, in that game. Like more than anything else, he just dominated. And even the last two plays, he blocks Curry, and then forces Poole to miss a three. Anthony Davis was the story, the beast, his 30 points, 20 rebounds, but defensively, the amount of drives to the basket where guys curled out, it was really awe-inspiring. The thing that was weird was the Lakers' play calls late. Their first play call in the final like five minutes was Austin Reeves on a double stagger off AD and LeBron. Is this like their go-to play with Austin Reeves as their handler? It really might be. And Reeves draw and AD dropped and LeBron pops, but it ends up with a LeBron three. And if I'm the Warriors, I'm totally fine with that. A LeBron above the break three is just not that good a shot. The next play they ran was a Schroeder, Anthony Davis pick and roll. Got nothing. Then they went D'Angelo Russell one-on-one. Like, so Russell, who's supposedly their point guard, doesn't run either of the first two. Reeves and Schroeder does. Then Reeves, LeBron pick and roll, <coughs> which might be... Then they tried to post up AD and couldn't get him the ball. That was their five plays late in the game by the Lakers that were like the plays that were supposed to matter to them. A Reeves double stagger with AD, LeBron, which might have been their best play. Got, but again, I don't mind the look. Schroeder, AD, pick and roll. Russell, one-on-one. Reeves, LeBron, pick and roll. LeBron's not the ball handler in any of these things. LeBron is the picker. Super interesting to keep an eye on of where they are as this series goes on. Um, I think the Warriors were crazy tired. Interesting, the Warrior, the Lakers' shot quality was about a percentage point better than the than than the Warriors in that game. So that's worth their QSQ is better. The Warriors did not get good shots because of Anthony Davis because of that Lakers defense um, last night. I do think the Warriors were tired, um, and I think watching that, I believe in the Warriors a little bit more. Um, but we'll see uh, on that. LeBron's block was pretty great. There's some great stuff last night. All right, here we go. It's time for our lottery. We've had no luck this week. Um, we are nine in the lottery. We are 16 and 28. 16 and 28 will hold. Here we go. 
in dun, 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 we have a 20% chance of good news. Indiana gets the number one pick, and Victor Webb and Yama gets stuck in the depressed city of Indianapolis. Maybe the city that looked most negatively impacted by COVID I saw all year. Portland, oh, speaking of which, gets the second pick. And Charlotte, the third pick. Houston tanks to go to four. Detroit tanks to go to five. New San Antonio tanks to go to six. This is the, yesterday was the, it's beneficial to tank. Today is the anti-tank. Orlando, seven. Washington, eight. Jazz stay at nine. Dallas gets their 10th pick of the draft. Chicago's pick goes to Orlando at 11. Oklahoma City, Toronto, and New Orleans. So we've had no luck so far this week. All right, that is Locked on Jazz tomorrow. Kelly Olenek's role, maybe my most favorite player. What? How does Kelly Olenek fit for the Utah Jazz, and what do the Jazz, how do the Jazz deal with it uh, and use him next year? All coming up on tomorrow's show. It is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Thanks to the everydayers for being a part of us each and every day. I super appreciate it. Shout yourself out on YouTube. I'll start shouting you out as well. Thanks. Talk to you soon.